Well, I suppose I should begin by saying a thank you to everyone who has participated in the sermon series thus far. We've gone through several chapters of Revelation, and I've not been able to be at every Sunday evening service because I have a (laughs) one-year-old. But I have downloaded every service and listened to every sermon. And I was telling someone in the morning service how fortunate we are to have so many people who are willing and able in terms of preaching here at our church. And this is not normal. There are not always this many people who are willing to stand in the pulpit and preach in every congregation. And so I've just appreciated listening to all of the sermons up until this point. And I was also telling this person this morning that what struck me the most was the diversity present in the preaching styles. And I feel like this this sermon series, I feel, highlighted the diversity more than ever before, perhaps, because everyone who is preaching is preaching a very similar passage. The structure in these letters is almost the same, and the genre is the same. And so it's been interesting to hear each person's personality and style and passions come out in each individual sermon. And so how blessed we are as a congregation to have so many different people who are willing to serve and so many people who are willing to serve in different ways so that we can see this diversity on display. And so I do want to say thank you at the beginning because I do recognize God's grace is present in all of this as we meet and in every Sunday evening that we've met thus far. I also was thinking as I was preparing this sermon tonight of my first semester in college. Now I was enrolled in my first semester in a class entitled PR 101. And that stood for, you can probably guess, literally, Preaching 101. That was the name of the class. And yes, needless to say, I went to a Christian university. Preaching 101. Now, our instructor was an elderly southern gentleman who had pastored many congregations in many different states and now spent his years training young people who were interested in serving churches. And he was something of a hero on our campus because he was kind of a maverick. He was kind of a radical. He would show up on campus in an old Cadillac. And on sunny, sunny days, every window would be rolled down in his car. And he would be playing very loudly the music of the Beach Boys. And in our conservative, kind of straight-laced Christian university, All of the students found in him a hero, someone who was fun and interesting and different. And so everyone signed up to take classes with Professor Beach Boys. And in our first semester together in that class, he assigned us several different texts. He wanted us to have experience with different genres in the scripture. And we had to, over the course of a semester, write a sermon on these different texts. Psalm 23. Isaiah 53, John chapter 3, and then the conclusion of Revelation, where we learn about the new Jerusalem coming down, the new heavens, and the new earth. And so I prepared as best I could these sermons for class, and I was especially struck by the sermon on Revelation. I was just so encouraged by the message of Revelation. I found the hope at the conclusion of this book to be so exciting. I thought as a young man, If I ever get a chance to speak in a church, this will be the sermon I want to to deliver. This is so encouraging and so exciting. 
And so the next semester, a church called our home and asked me to do pulpit supply to fill in for them on one Sunday morning. And so I pulled out of the file cabinet my sermon on Revelation, and I traveled down to the church, and I walked in the door. Now, I know that I have a baby face now, but imagine what I look like as a college student. They probably thought an eight-year-old was coming to deliver the sermon that morning. And so I came in with my notes on Revelation, and I stood up and I said, I'm here to speak, and the text this morning is from Revelation, and you could have heard a pin drop. Everyone just became very silent, and I knew instantly in the room something had happened. And some people were looking at me with suspicion, and other people, well, they had already tuned out, and you could tell. And so I preached as best I could, but you could feel a sense of awkwardness in the room. And afterwards, as I was saying goodbye to everyone, someone came up to me and they said, we had no idea what to expect when a young person from the seminary came and of all things began to preach on Revelation. We were scared to death. I thought, really? And I thought about that moment in my mind, and I guess they thought that this would be a confusing message. Maybe they were scared of the book of Revelation itself because it can be such a difficult book to interpret. Maybe they were scared of me as a young seminary student. Maybe they were afraid I was going to come in with end times charts. I'm not sure. But there was a fear there over the book of Revelation and over me, a young minister, preaching it. And I find that that can be present often, and I've even found that in my own life. When I approach the book of Revelation, there can be a timidity because it can be difficult. And I begin with this story because that is unfortunate in my life and our lives together. Because this is a book, ultimately, of hope. This is a story that has a happy ending. And this is the Bible's happy ending. And the book of Revelation is ultimately about how God will wipe every tear and comfort his people. And even though they have gone through persecution and suffering and trial, he was there the entire time. And he saw and he witnessed and cared. And in the end, he will make all things right. He will right every wrong. And he will provide for his people vindication. And he will bring justice and righteousness to this world. And it's a hopeful book because of that reason. And so it's a book that should not inspire fear, but it's a book that should inspire confidence. And I feel like that is the message, especially to the church that we are considering tonight, the church at Philadelphia. There are some churches in the text who receive a harsher message from Jesus. He challenges them. He in many ways rebukes them. But this church was a church that was in many ways, it seems weak and discouraged. And Christ is letting them know here that he does see, he does care, he is not forgotten, and he will right every wrong. Now, all of the details are hard to determine, but what we can see from the verses tonight is that there is a group of people here, and they claim to be Jews, but the writer of Revelation tells us here that They were Jews in name only. They were not part of God's people. In fact, they were doing things that were in opposition to God's will. They were harming Christ's church. 
And so in this way, they're operating not as a meeting place for God, but as a synagogue of Satan. They're in opposition to God. And so the Christians who were in this community, in this area, are suffering some sense of persecution by these people who claim to be Jews, who are opposing the Christian message. And to sort of put our, ourselves in their situation, first century context for a moment, could you imagine if you came in a Jewish context and were raised in a Jewish context and you came to recognize Christ and began to try to worship Christ and suddenly perhaps the synagogue rejected you, maybe even removed you and was in, now standing in opposition against you. And how hurtful that would be to lose relationships and friendships and maybe even family connections. Or to be a Gentile who's been brought into the Christian community and suddenly have to understand why there's this separation between this party that calls itself a Jewish party and now these believers in Christ who are being persecuted and to try to understand the difficulty and the struggle and to now face opposition and to endure opposition. Whereas before you might not have ever experienced persecution in your life. And so these people, perhaps, it's hard to say, but perhaps they were suffering financially. Maybe it was difficult for them to find work because of their social standing in their community. Perhaps they are experiencing difficulties in their family because of their faith. Certainly they're experiencing a sense of rejection and loss to be not in this synagogue, but to now be cast out. And so Christ comes to them with this message in this book. And he does not deny their experiences. He does not minimize all of the things that they are encountering and all of the things that they are undergoing. But he gives an alternate story. He tells them that even though they are seeing these things, there is still more happening behind the scenes that they cannot see. And so it's a message of encouragement. And so he begins by telling them that I am the holy and the true one. And I have the key of David. Now earlier in the book of Revelation, Jesus himself says that he has the keys of death and Hades. It's a statement of his authority, his reign over all things, even over death itself. And here, Jesus is quoting a text from Isaiah, the key of David. And he's placing himself in this position of, yes, the Jewish Messiah, but also, yes, as one who is Lord and as king and as ruler. And he's telling them that he is the one who has ultimate authority. And so he has the ability to open and to shut doors. And so even though that they might experience rejection and even though they might feel like they are weak and powerless and that they are outcast in this community, Christ is saying here that ultimately he is the one who is in charge and he can and does accept them. That the synagogue, perhaps, that's facing, that's giving them persecution is not having the final say. And if they're rejected on this earth, they're still accepted by the Lord who matters the most. And so it's a statement of his authority from the beginning. And then he goes on and he ex explains to them, I provide for you an open door which no one can shut. And even those, verse 9, 
who are part of the synagogue of Satan. Well, one day they will come and they will fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. And then again, there's allusion here to Isaiah. Because in Isaiah, towards the conclusion of that book, God tells Israel that there is coming a day of restoration where Israel will be revived, so to speak, and that the outsiders, the Gentiles, will come in and they will acknowledge the greatness of what God has done and even acknowledge Israel's God. And Jesus is playing on that imagery here, but there's kind of an interesting twist because he is saying here that the Christians are the ones who are now in community with him And these people who are claiming to be Jews, even though they are not, they will come to the Christians and one day acknowledge, yes, Christ was with you. God was with you and acknowledge that the grace of God was given to them. And so the promise from the Old Testament will be fulfilled, but just in an unexpected way. And then he goes on again, continues further and promises them that even though they face uncertainty and trial and difficulty, that one day they will be secure because they will be, as it were, pillars in the temple of God. Their standing is rock solid in Christ's kingdom. And so they must simply persevere and endure because even though they are facing difficulty now, the story is not yet complete. There is a happy ending and Christ is moving in the midst of his church still to bless. Now, I can't imagine all that it would have been like to be in this church, but I can perhaps imagine what I would have thought if I were a member of this church back then. And I think what I would have been tempted to feel was, Lord, I accepted you, and I went out with zeal to change the world. I tried to evangelize. I tried to share my faith. I told my friends and my family about you, but instead of seeing people converted people have started to hate me. They don't like what I have to say. And instead of us seeing great change to our community, there are just a few of us who meet. And we seem to have no relevance here. And we seem to be so weak and so powerless. And if I were feeling that way in this church and Christ said this to me, I think this message would have made all the difference. Now, it's not ultimately about me. But I think it does show the power as we put ourselves in the position of these hearers, the power of Christ's message. That yes, what you experience is real. This is your reality and you might have to endure even more. He does not promise you to protect them from any and all physical persecution. But what he is saying is in the midst of everything that you are seeing and feeling and everything that you see around you, I have not abandoned you. I love the church for whom I died. And I remember you, and I know you intimately. And I have a way of, even though you are weak and powerless, I have the way of making even those who oppose you come to recognize the truth. I'm able to do that. And I have the way, even though you feel rejected, to remind you that I, as Lord, say that you are accepted because I have the keys. And so this is the message to this church. 
And I think as we meet tonight that we cannot help but recognize just how relevant it is for many of us as we serve Christ in the 21st century today. Soon after I arrived here in Scotland, I was invited to a dinner party just on the edge of the town of St. Andrews. And no one at this party was connected to our church or even St. Mary's, uh, just through mutual friends. We, April and I, received this invitation. And there I was having dinner, and someone came up to me. They heard my American accent. They were curious why I was here. And they asked what I was doing, and I explained, well, I'm studying theology at St. Mary's College. And they began to step in closer. And they said, well, you're studying theology. The church in Scotland is declining. As you study theology, what answer do you have for that? And I thought, well, that just didn't put me on the spot at all, did it? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now, I did a strategic and deliberate sidestep at this point. There has been a habit of some from my side of the Atlantic to express things and strong opinions even when they might not have all facts in order. And I promised whenever I came to the UK, I would not be that sort of American. And so I said, always, David, keep the mouth closed more than you normally would and learn before you speak. And so I did this deliberate sidestep and I said, well, I'm sure people on the ground in this context would have so much to say. What do you think? That's always a good move but they would not let me off the hook. And so my mind began to spin, and there are so many things you could say. You could talk about the history of Christianity in this country and missionary strategy and the need to contextualize, and all of these different theological things came into my mind. But what I said ultimately was, you know, at the end of the day, it is Jesus' church, and I'm going to rest in that fact. And this person was completely dissatisfied with my answer. And they're very sincere. I'm sure they are. But that was not what they were looking for. And they stepped back and they said, surely it can't be just that. And since that conversation, I've thought more and more, would I have said something differently? Would I have phrased something um, in a more sophisticated manner? And I think, no. I would still say exactly what I said. We cannot speak to the future of individual congregations or denominations. We cannot speak with authority about the future of Christianity in particular regions. If Augustine or Tertullian came back to North Africa today, they would not recognize the religious landscape that's there. But what we can say with authority is what Jesus says, that he has the keys and that his church will persevere and be victorious. And we can place our confidence in that. And we can rest easy because the world and the church is not ours to save. This is Christ's church, his body. And even though we can so often feel as though we are powerless and ineffectual, and even though we can so often feel as though no one in our community knows we are here, we can think, Lord, They pass by our building to go to the pub and the cinema, and they never even notice our Baptist church sign. We can so often feel as though we're making no difference. And we can so often pray for friends and especially for family and still see no fruit. 
And we can press on and press on and press on. And when those times come and those feelings come, we turn back to these pages and we remind ourselves, it's Christ's work. It's Christ's ministry. And he will, in the end, be victorious. And he will share that victory with his people, the church. And so we come to this place with full confidence, knowing that what we do here matters. When we sing, our songs are not just bouncing off of the walls. And when we pray, our prayers are not just hitting the ceiling and not going to heaven. Even though we may not be recognized by people in our community, what we're doing here is so important because it is Christ's ministry and spiritual work. And we see from this text that he watches our meetings and our prayers and our songs with great excitement and anticipation. And so this is the encouragement that comes from this text, that we press on as one church, one victorious church, with patience and endurance, with intentionality and deliberateness, knowing that in the end, God will set all things right. A few years ago, we were meeting in this place, and they were setting up outside for the festival, the market that comes every year to St. Andrews. Some of you might remember this service. And for whatever reason, on this night, they were setting things up early. And so as we were meeting, we continually heard the sound of a thumping bass outside as the music was playing and the whirl of the hydraulics on the rides as they were getting ready to get things going. And I think I was preaching that night. I can't remember. But I do remember thinking, if this is not an illustration for how we sometimes feel, I don't know what is. There's so much commotion in the world as the world passes by. And we can feel so unnoticed. And our work can go so unnoticed here, it seems. But I also remember that service because it was one of the more enjoyable services that I've had in this place. The crowd was thin, but the music was lively and just the Lord was present. And I walked away feeling so refreshed. And it was a reminder for me personally that God does bless his people and does not forget them. Now, I'm making the same point in many different ways because in my experience, Many churches are, as I alluded to a second ago, in this state now. They're struggling with monthly budgets. They're struggling with a lack of resources. Lord, we would love to have more workers in the Sunday school for the children. We would love to have more outreach workers, but we don't have enough people. They're struggling with a sense of relevance and being effectual. And it's a simple message but important one, and that's why I want to drill it home tonight, that in the midst of all of our struggles, in the midst of all of our works, in the midst of all of our ministry and all of our meetings, that the Lord sees and knows and gives great fruit and great perseverance. Once when I was preaching in Brazil, we were at a small congregation just on the outside of Boa Vista, which is in the northern part of Brazil. And as we were meeting... Um, there was just tension in the congregation. And I came in as an outside speaker, not familiar with the context, and I was asked to deliver a 15-minute sermon by the American leadership team. Now, I quickly found out that in Brazil, there's no such thing as a 15-minute sermon that can be insulting to them. It needs to be at least 45 minutes 
or it's just not a sermon. And so I was preaching, and I saw that people were more and more interested, and I continued to preach and continued to preach. And then afterwards, as we were leaving, the pastor came up to our team, and he was in tears. And he said, you did not know that before you got here tonight, I was getting ready to quit the ministry because I had invited and invited and invited people for years, and I had done work and done work and done work, and I was just so discouraged. And he said, but through the music that the team brought and through just your testimonies and your excitement, I was reminded again of just how joyful ministry can be. And then he said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, it's never been, and it never should be about the attendance in terms of numbers or the recognition. He said through the translator, it's just always been about faithfulness. And that's all Jesus is saying to this church tonight with this very simple message. Persevere. The situation may not always change. It may not always be easiest. But if you persevere, you will see me do great work in your midst. You will see the ministry in my kingdom advance. And all things will be made well. And so that's what I wanted to share tonight. A very simple message, but hopefully a message of encouragement in the midst of this interesting book. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll close with two hymns. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you give us and for your word. And Lord, I know what I shared tonight was short and simple, but Lord, I wanted to do it deliberately so, because it is so easy sometimes to be discouraged. And each person, I hope, knows tonight that you see their work that you see when they come into this place to meet and to set chairs up or to set up a children's church meeting. And you see when they sing and lead in worship. And you see when they pray for their friends and their family. And you see when they earnestly desire university students to be reached. And what they're doing has great value. And I pray tonight that they would leave here knowing that you recognize their work. And that they would leave here with full confidence that you are not finished with your work in this town yet. And that you will bring all things to their appointed ends. And that you will bring fruit. And that you will bring health. And you will bring blessings to your church. And we pray this in your name. Amen.